Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to continue talking about change your world. All right. Two and a half people. It's all right. I heard Haas. Haas gets praise bucks. The rest of you are deducted 15. So we're going to talk about change your world this morning. I'm joking so far. But Matthew 9, we're going to get in here and we're going to talk about change your world this morning. And uh, this is a familiar passage to us and we're going to read it today. Jesus speaking. The story of Jesus here. He says, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But notice what happened. When Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Compassion. Now, now we're going somewhere with this word today, and I want you to underline that if you got your Bible. He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered and like a sheep who had no shepherd. And notice what he says. Here's the answer to this. Then he said to his disciples, we are his disciples, 2,000 years later, still talking to us. And he said, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. Now, today, if you're taking notes, the title of the message is love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Yeah, the response level was what I thought it would be. Because if I said, get your Bentley Man, there would have been a, an uproar in the house of God today. Get your house, get your mate, get your Bentley. Everybody's like, hallelujah. Love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Mm. You're going there, Pastor, really, on a Sunday morning. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Um, it's important. So um, we're going to get into this message today. I'm going to take my time. I'm still trying to rest my voice because uh, I want to save it so I can preach the rest of my life. And um, so we're talking today about change your world and specifically about love your neighbor. And you need to understand this. And Jesus said this, if, it, if the need was great 2000 years ago, if the harvest was great back then, it's definitely great now. And he said, the harvest is great. It's plentiful. It's not a lack of need. It's not a lack of hurting people. It's not a lack of problems in the world. It's a lack of people that want to go do something about it. And notice what he said. You disciples, you're the ones who's supposed to go do something about it. Don't just look at it and say, it's not my problem. It's not my issue. No, it is your issue. Because you're a part of the mission of God. If it was Jesus' issue and his mission, it's his church's issue and our mission to see the world saved and healed and delivered and restored and redeemed and help people that are hurting. That's our job. That's why we're here. That's why you exist. Not, not to go to your job, not to go to a nine to five, not to go to the coffee shop, not to work out, not to get married, not to have kids. Those are all great things, but that's not even why you're here. You're here to do the mission of God. The mission of God is changing the world, seeing the world saved, healed, restored, and redeemed, and being a part of what he's doing. But there was a key word there, and it says, when Jesus saw everybody who was like this, 
he was moved with compassion. Compassion. Now, I realize in 2021, it's sad because most Christians I see are as far away from the word compassion as I've ever seen in my life. Like, I feel like Christians used to be 10 times more compassionate 10 years ago. I don't know what happened to everyone. Politics, race, gender issues, everything has taken the place of compassion. You want me to go there or not go there? Okay, well, I'm going to go there either way. Whether you said yes or no, I'm still going. So, um, Jesus said when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion, not moved with judgment, not moved with anger. That's, that's a lot of Christians are there. And I know why you're angry, because you're afraid. It's okay. Just say it. Just say it. You know, uh, and I've repeated this multiple times this week. Mom always told me this. Jordan would rather get angry than cry about the issue. Isn't that, isn't that most men's issue? Go ahead and say amen. Not me. Mm. Yeah, it's you. Men go that route. Let's get angry instead of cry. Lucky for you, you have a pastor who does both. I'm going to get angry and I'm going to cry because I'm an emotional person. But the point is most believers right now in this world, instead of seeing the needs and the hurt and the pain of the world and being compassionate, they're ticked off at everybody. They're judging everybody. And you're thinking, well, that's not going to help the thing. You're just pouring gasoline on the fire of the problem because you're getting angry at people who don't know God anyways. What do you expect them to act like? If Christians act like idiots, definitely people who do not know God are going to act like sinners because they are. And we're shocked and angry at them when they act that way. I don't understand it. But the root of that is fear. Afraid about what's going to happen. Afraid about your kids. Afraid about your community. Afraid about your nation. Afraid that they're going to influence you because you're not securing your relationship with God. You think you're so easily tempted that the world around you is going to change you just because they change. Well, not if you're the influence in the world. And not if your relationship with God's intact. No, you're going to be the influence. You're going to be the light of the world. You're going to be a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You're going to be the salt of the earth. You're going to be the influencing force, not them. So there's nothing to be afraid about. But a lot of times our anger comes from we're afraid. We're afraid of people that we don't understand. We don't know. We don't get. We're afraid about our country and our community. But that shows no faith. There's no reason to be afraid. We have God on our side. God's with us. God is for us. And we are the influence in the world. But here's the key. If it's got to change in the right direction, we've got to be moved with compassion. Now, what is compassion again? Compassion is... The simplest definition I could give you is it's love in action. Compassion is love in action. Compassion means I love you enough to not just tell you I love you. I want to do something about it. It's kind of like those people, like if you had a financial need and they knew about it. 
and you were close to them, and they said, well, I love you, brother. <laughs> do you? <laughs> because if you know I'm in need and don't help me, do you really love me? Right. Answer is no, you don't. Because love in action is compassion. That means I love you enough to do something about it. That's like if, uh, if a friend came to you and said, I mean, I'm really struggling with panic attacks right now, and, I, and I'm feeling really depressed. My mind feels weird. I, I love God. I love his word, and I, I'm trying my best. And you just said, well, I love you, brother. That's not helping. That's a good start. But compassion says, okay, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to start praying for you. I'm going to start sending you scriptures. If you feel vulnerable and, and you feel scared, about you're going to do something to yourself, call me. I'm coming to your house. I'll sit with you. I'll pray with you. That's compassion. Not just, well, I love you, brother. Well, we love you, brother. That's just a Christianese statement that means nothing unless it's compassion. Compassion is love in action. But here's, um, here's the thing about love. When, when we talk about love, especially in churches like ours, People say, yeah, but we want to hear messages about the deeper stuff, Pastor. <laughs> Let's get to the deeper stuff, Pastor. I don't want to hear a message about walking in love, loving God with all my heart, loving people with all my heart, changing the world, sharing the gospel. That's too simplistic. We come to a church who's, we're deeper than that, Pastor. We're, we want the deep word. We want the meat Filet mignon of the word. Do not give us veggies or just potatoes. We want the meat of the word. But let me address this. When we say that about messages about love, especially in our circles, and we say let's get to the deeper stuff, realize love is the foundation of the entire walk of faith life you have. Love is the foundation of the entire Christian life you have. Love is the thing that the children of God are supposed to be known for. Jesus said in the Gospels, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Not by your Facebook post or your Instagram post or your Christian t-shirts or your bumper sticker or even your worship music. They will know you are my disciples because of your love. And on top of that, if I didn't convince you by now, God himself says he is love. But yet Christians mock messages about love like it's too simplistic and it's not deep enough. Then I guess God's not deep enough for you. Because God is love. The Bible says our faith works by love. And we're a faith church. But there's the other side of faith. Faith works by love. If you don't love God and love other people, your conscience will convict you and you won't be able to believe God like you should because faith works by love. But this is an interesting passage pertaining to what I'm talking about. And let's read it. We're going to read it from the message because I like the way it says it. 1 Corinthians 13 about love. Verse 1, notice it says, If I speak with human eloquence, and angelic ecstasy, but don't love. Now, what he's talking about here specifically, if you have like a new King James or King James, he's talking about tongues. 
So he said, I could speak all the languages of human speaking and angelic spiritual languages, but if I don't have love, this is what you sound like. The creaking of a rusty gate. Man, I love the message. How many know the creaking of a rusting, rusty gate is the most annoying sound on the face of the planet? And God says, if you don't love people and you knew all the human languages you could know, and you could speak in tongues all day and all night, to God, you sound like an old rusty gate without love. That's pretty shocking. But once again, why we say, we want, let's talk about tongues, pastor. That's the deeper stuff. God says, if you don't love people, your tongues sound like a rusty gate. The King James says a clanging symbol. You know what a clanging symbol sounds like? You know those kids' toys, those musical toys you give them, and then they use it day after day after day? Let's just say like it's a toy trumpet. That's what you sound like to God and other people if you don't love people. You could say, Shandai, Shandai, tie my bow tie. But if you're a jerk, you sound like, I heard a quote recently, and I loved it. I screenshot it on my phone. It says, I don't care if you pray in tongues if you're mean in English. That's what this verse says. But let's get to the deeper stuff, Pastor. I believe it. I'm on Team Tongues. Team Tongues, 34 years straight. I believe it with all my heart. But God says, you got to get this right first. And you can pray in tongues all day and night, but if you don't love people, you're a rusty, creaking gate. Well, I'm just trying to build you up this morning. All right, verse 2. Notice what he says. Now, we're talking about spiritual gifts here. God, God says through his word, if I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith, and we're a faith church, that says to a mountain jump and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. So God's saying in his word, word you could even prophesy, you could have spiritual knowledge, you could even have faith that moves mountains, but if you don't love people, it's nothing. So let's realize this spiritual gifts, tongues, prophecy, knowledge, or, or spiritual things like faith are not a sign of maturity in the life of a believer. <laughs> They're more gifts that God gives us. And he says, you can do all these things, but still not be a person of love, and it's nothing. Now, once again, these pastors are not, let's choose. I'm just going to be a person of love and not faith. No, it says you need to be a person of love and pray in tongues. Be a person of, of love and prophesy and have spiritual gifts and be a person of faith. But don't just do those things without love and think you're mature. You're not. Verse 3, and if I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, that's pretty intense. But I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say or what I believe, 
or what I do, I am bankrupt without love. So for those of you who had a holy sigh when I brought up the subject of love, let these words minister to you. That love is the deeper stuff. And if you want to get into the deeper stuff and stay in the deeper stuff, love's the root and the foundation of all the spiritual gifts of your faith life, of your generosity, of prophecy, of knowledge. And you can have all those things, but notice without love, it was pointless. It was nothing. But let's talk about what love is. Now, our definition of love is very Americanized. It's very Western. Because we all say we love stuff all day long, but do we really? For example, now this is actually true, but I'm going to say it anyways. I love cheeseburgers. No comments. Well, Pastor, you look like you love cheeseburgers. I could tell. I love cheeseburgers. But do I really love cheeseburgers? Or I love golf, or I love shopping, or I love Amazon, or I love Hobby Lobby in fall. <laughs> Hit a note. I love pumpkin spice lattes from Starbucks. I love coffee, and I love shoes, and I love football, and I love... But do you really love it? Because a lot of those definitions and types of love aren't really love. It's like you just really like it. And it's a very American version of love. And you've got to realize the Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. And there's many Greek words for the word love, and they're not the same. Because they all express something differently. There's brotherly love, phileo, where we get the city of Philadelphia which is the furthest thing away from brotherly love, which is funny, right? You don't go to the East Coast for love. You go to the South. What are you talking about? You go, go to Boston, New York for love? Yeah, right. Get a beer thrown in your face and thrown out of the Italian joint. You go to the South for love. But that's why they call Philadelphia the city of brotherly love, because it's phileo. And there's, there's sexual love, and there's friendship love, and there's all different types of love. But the Bible pertaining to loving God and loving people is talking about the God kind of love. The God kind of love is different than those types of love. All those types of love are conditional. In the God kind of love in the Bible, it's a word called agape. Agape is God's unconditional, unearned love for you that is never ending. That God loves you no matter what you do or what you say or what goes on. And even in judgment, he still loves you because God's love is unconditional and undeserved. And so God's love in the Bible is the word agape. It's the God kind of love. Now, a good definition of the God kind of love is also in 1 Corinthians 13, which we just read about love. We're going to read that in a second. But I just want to get our, our mind right about what love really is and what it's not. Because if I just say love, you're thinking, well, 
There's all sorts of things that I love. And yeah, I love people. I'm a person of love. Are you? Um, there's a lot of different versions of love. You know, I don't want to go there, but I'm going to go there. There's people that say they love other people in a physical relationship, in a sexual relationship, and they're not married, or maybe they're dating someone of the same sex, and they say, well, love is love. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me who to sleep with. You can't. No, love is love. It's all love. Love wins. Love is everything. What you're talking about is not what the Bible's talking about. Love. No, you're talking about lust. That's what you're in. Not love. Not the Bible love. You're talking about affection for somebody. You're talking about, I just think they're hot. You're not talking about the Bible love, unconditional, unearned, never-ending, God kind of love. So don't give me this nonsense, but love is love and love wins. You ain't talking about the Bible kind of love. You're talking about lust, attraction, and uh, my unrenewed, carnal, sinful mind likes you. Too honest on a Sunday morning. But you ain't talking about the God kind of love. And I'm not saying those feelings aren't real. They are very real. And you feel something, and that strong attraction and like for that person can feel like love. But it's not the God kind of love. Now, let's tell you what the God kind of love is. 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to read it because he tells us what love is. And this is the God kind of love. This is agape. And I'm going to read it from the Passion because I love the way it says it. It's so clear. This is what love is. Love is large and incredibly patient. All right. We're zero for one so far, all of us. (laughs) Notice, but this is the God kind of love. This is agape. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when someone's blessings come to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflates its own importance. This is God kind of love. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated. All right. We're zero for four at this point, everybody. (laughs) Or quick to take offense. This is agape, the God kind of love. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. In verse 7, and love, I love this, is a safe place of shelter. For it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Now, that passage right there, you say, I want to know what God's kind, the God kind of love is like or what is agape. That's it. I encourage you this week to reread 1 Corinthians 13 and read it in a lot of different translations because you want to know what the God kind of love is like? It's like that. And you felt the tension, didn't you? Because you're like, that's God and I'm way over here. Good for you, God. Your love walk is excellent. Yeah, it is, because he is love. But the Bible says that God has put that kind of love in us. 
Maybe you haven't seen it in a long time, but it's in there somewhere deep down. You got to look past the unforgiveness and the bitterness and the judgment and the anger and the opinions and the preferences. And underneath all that is the God kind of love that he put in you when you first got saved. Still in there. Maybe it hasn't been used in a very, very long time, but it's still there. And that's the good news. Realize if you have not accepted Jesus and you're not born again, you don't have a new heart and a new spirit, you do not have the God kind of love. You don't. But the good news for followers of Jesus, it says in Romans 5, that God has poured out the love of God in your heart by the Holy Spirit. So that 1 Corinthians 13 type of love, you know, they read it at every marriage, at every wedding, don't they? It's funny, even people that are complete atheists read that verse at their wedding. You're like, well, they, that kind of love happened in there because the love of God has not been shed abroad in their heart yet. But for us as followers of Jesus, as believers, when God saves you, he gives you a new nature. He gives you new desires. He gives you a new love that is not human love. It's the God kind of love. And that God kind of love is everything that 1 Corinthians 13 said it was. It's patient. It's kind. It's long-suffering. It believes the best in others. It's not looking out for self. It's looking out for other people. It never gives up. It always believes in other people. It always believes in God. And it never fails. That's the God kind of love. But Romans 5 says that love is in you. So how do we get it? out of us <laughs> it's in you how do you get it out of you compassion if the love of God is in you guess what you're going to have to do something to get it out of you if you want the love of God in you to come out of you and start growing and developing and getting stronger that means you're going to have to use the love you have which is compassion Love in action. And the more you exercise your compassion love muscle, your love gets stronger. It grows. It develops more. And that love that's in you develops more and more and more to you become a person of love. But it's not good enough that it's just in you. You have to use it to make it come out of you. Are you following me so far today? And how do we do that? We put love into action which is compassion. Still here. But the rest of this time today, I want to share a story with you that Jesus shared that pertains to compassion. You realize that most people learn best with stories. And Jesus was a master teacher, so he told stories, parables. And so Jesus told a lot of stories, and it's funny how Modern people try to downplay how good Jesus' teaching was because it's simplistic. But yet, 2,000 years later, we're still using all of his stories in the church and even outside the church. Those same stories, those same principles, those same teaching, you even hear our president quoting verses from Jesus' teaching. 
2,000 years later. But, oh, it's just, it's too simplistic. We're beyond these stories from years ago. But notice, he's teaching you through a story. Just like last week we talked about the sower, so is the word, the parable of the sower. He's teaching you through a story. That's what many rabbis and teachers of that day, day did was they told stories. They asked questions. They wanted you to be involved in the answer. They didn't just want to tell you the answer. They wanted you to get involved in it and have to think for yourself. And myself as your pastor, I want our church to think for ourselves. I don't want to be a church who is spiritually not intelligent or just lives off refrigerator scriptures and, and bookstore, Christian bookstore quotes. No, I want people that love their Bible, study their Bible, have commentaries, have word studies, listen to podcasts that challenge them and not just this superficial Christianity that a lot of people do which is, let me read my couple of verses I just like and understand and avoid the deeper stuff and the deeper revelation because the Bible is a book that takes you a lifetime to even get close to understanding it. You say, well, I don't get it. Yeah, because it's so much bigger than you, it takes a lifetime, and dare I say all eternity, you're going to be knowing more and more about who God is and what his word means. So we're just like, oh, it's too simplistic. Is it? Because these stories are still being used today, and they're, the simplicity of it is not an issue. You know, when you know what you're talking about, you can make it simple. It's people that don't know how to explain what they're saying make it complicated for everybody. Because they don't even understand it themselves. Saying, well, Jesus' teaching is simple. Yeah, because he already knew what he was going to say. And he knew people are people. It is pretty simple. Issues are issues. Sin is sin. We have the same issues they did 2,000 years ago. It's not that hard to figure people out. And if anybody knows people, Jesus would know people. So this is a story you guys have heard many times, but I, I believe it will be just a, a different day for you that you're going to understand on a different level. And we're going to talk about the story of the Good Samaritan. Are you still with me today? Yes. Now, we're still talking about love. We're talking about compassion. Specifically, how do we change the world? We change the world through loving our neighbor, through compassion, which is love in action. But this is really the best way to sum, sum up this story about Loving your neighbor. So let's turn there. It's Luke 10. In verse 25. And we're going to kind of go verse by verse. We're going to take our time. Through this passage here. And. Let's start here. Luke 10, 25. It says. And one day. Notice an expert in religious law. Stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Next verse. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? 
and how do you read it? Now, this is a common thing that rabbis and teachers would do. Verse 27. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Let's stop right there. So he asked Jesus, how do I get this eternal life? How do I make it to heaven? How do I have a relationship with God? And so Jesus is saying, okay, well, let me ask you a few questions. What, what's the greatest commandment? Because if you think that living this certain way or obeying the commandments can get you this, which commandment do you think it is? And so he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, which is, especially in the Jewish world, every person knew these verses and these commandments. These are the, the top two of all time. Because if you do these two, you do the rest of them. Right? And these are the two most important things that the Old Testament ever said. But Jesus emphasized and said that loving God and loving other people are the greatest things we do with our life. They're the greatest commandments is loving God and loving other people. And if we love God and other people, we won't sin. We won't hurt other people. We will do what's right. And we will have the most fulfilling, satisfying, enjoyable life because we're right in God's perfect will for our life. Because God's perfect will for your life is loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving others as yourself. But this is such a familiar passage. Everyone would know, yeah, these are the top two, Jesus. But I love how he says they go together. Religion tries to separate them. Don't we? we? We try to separate this with religion. And a lot of church people, they're 100% on the first commandment. They preach it strong and hot from the pulpit. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, salt, mind, and strength. Love the Lord your God with all your... And then they whisper the second part. And uh, love your neighbor as yourself, guys, if, if you get around to it. just. But love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. No. God puts it together in the Old Testament. Jesus himself, God in the flesh, puts it together that, that loving God and loving people, are, they go together. You can't separate the two. And you can say you love God, and if you don't love people, guess what? You really don't love God. Because loving God and loving people go hand in hand together. I heard one person say that you love God to the level of the person you love least. I said, "Woo, my relationship with God stinks. <laughs> That's a strong statement. But you can't separate the two. Because God says, no, if you love me, you'll love the people that I created that you're brothers and sisters. And if you love people, you'll love the God who made them. But loving God and loving people go together. So he was trying to separate the two. So what does the next verse say in verse 28? 
Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. Next verse. And the man wanting to justify his actions asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, once again, we're all on team love God, love God, love God, love God. I am too. But he says, no, loving God is loving other people. And he says to Jesus, because he got it right, the man wanting to justify his actions. I love how the Bible's so clear. Just call him out for it. He didn't ask that question with good intentions, with the right motivations, because he wanted to love people more. The Bible says this man wanting to justify his actions. But I was thinking, how many times do all of us do the same exact thing? We don't read the Bible. I'm about to say it. We don't read the Bible to do it. We read the Bible for loopholes and justifications why we can't do it. Or we avoid passages that make us uncomfortable. And it says, this man trying to justify his actions, he said, yeah, but who is my neighbor? Jesus Christ is like, mm-mm. <laughs> and that's why he told a story. He's like, I cannot believe this guy just said this. But trying to justify his actions. And, and we're going to go there a little bit further, but I just want to ask you a few questions. When... When it comes to loving other people, we all have categories in our mind of people that we justify, mostly not out loud, unless you're really mean and obnoxious. And don't tell them you come to Church on the Rock if you do. That we try to justify ourselves out of loving them, out of liking them, out of trying to help them. Out of, you know, they're hurting, but yeah, I don't see it. We all have those people in our lives that are in that category. And because we do, Jesus has got to get to the root and the heart of the issue here. And that's what he said. But, but yeah, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story here. Jesus replied with a story, a Jewish man who was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, he was attacked by bandits and they stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. Now in this, go back one, one verse. Thank you. And this start of this story was very familiar because uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho was about 20 mile journey. And from Jerusalem to Jericho, there was a very high elevation to a very low elevation. So it was a long 20-mile walk, not ride in your car, 20 miles on a long winding road from a very high elevation to a low elevation. So it was a mountainous, dangerous journey. And on that road, that road in ancient times was called the Bloody Way. Because it was known to be a place where bandits and thieves would hide because it was such a sketchy road. And there would be a lot of places to hide on the sides of the road on this winding 20-mile journey that was through hills and it was called the Bloody Way. So they, they were very familiar with this passage. And notice it says there was a man 
a Jewish man who was, now they're relating to this because they're, they're all Jewish people. So they're like, okay, he's one of us. So they're relating to this man. And then he goes on and he says, but this man was attacked by bandits, stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. Now in this story, I believe hundred percent, he is talking about every person outside of God. Because outside of God, all of us have been left for dead on the side of the road. Without God in our life, sin and death and the enemy of our souls has beaten us, has bloodied us, has left us dead on the side of the road. And we are in need of help. That's what sin does to your life. It destroys you. It hurts you. The enemy of your soul wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what he does to people apart from God. And he's been able to do that because he has authority in this planet that Adam gave him to do it. But that's why God sent his son Jesus to come redeem us and heal us. But notice we have a part to play in it because he sent us as his disciples to bring that healing and cleansing and restoration to all people that are in the same condition that we used to be in like this guy. Are you following me so far in this house? But notice he was beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. Now, let's go to the next verse here. But by chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Now let's, we're going to take this slow. You guys bored? Are you still with me? You're with me. You want to be here. Just check it. Now we're talking about loving your neighbor. We're talking about compassion. What is compassion? Is love in action. Now see yourself in this story. Notice, don't see yourself as the hero in this story. See yourself how you really are in this story. Isn't that what we do when we read the Bible? I'm David. No, actually, you're Goliath. Or you're one of the, you know, the scared brothers sitting in their tent. You're not David in the story. I'm Noah. No, you're not. You're one of the cockroaches that got on the ark. Come on now, somebody. We always make ourselves the hero in the story. Not necessarily. Now, Jesus is the, the hero in all stories, but us, not always, by our actions. By a chance, a priest, isn't this sound like a good start to a joke? A priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan walk into a bar. By chance, a priest came along, and when he saw the man lying there, he crossed on the other side of the road. Now, you got to understand in this day, you could, you could interchange pastor. So you can understand the people that day hearing the story, they're thinking, well, this guy is the person who really knows God. And he really loves God. And he's the guy I look up to because he's the pastor. He's the priest. But then Jesus flips it on him and says, no, this was not the hero of the story. This guy walked by somebody who needed help. So I want to talk about these three people that Jesus talks about and who really loved their neighbor. 
So first is the priest, and it says the priest walked by and passed on the other side of the road. Now, a priest in that day, according to Levitical law, could not come in contact with anyone who was dead or any animal that was dead because he would become unclean. So this man, if he helped the guy on the side of the road who he thought was dead, could lose his job over helping this guy who needed help. And in the Bible, it says the priest walked on the other side of the road. The first thing I want to share is sometimes our position gives us an excuse to not help hurting people. Our position. He knew if he helped this guy and this guy was dead, he would lose his job as a priest. Do you see what religion does to people? The whole reason that God made him a priest was to help people. And religion makes you so prideful and so judgmental that you can't even help the people you were called to help because you think you might lose your position over it. Now, I know you see it pertaining to me, but what about you? Position can mean this. Position can mean what will other people in church think if I help this person who needs my help? What will people think if I go to coffee with this person, but actually they reached out to me the other day, and, and they don't go to church, but they're depressed and they need somebody to talk to. What if somebody else sees me? I could lose my position over this with other people. What if somebody sees me out to eat with somebody who's not at church and not because I'm trying to flirt to convert, I'm really actually trying to help this person. And, and somebody knows, well, that person has a drug issue or that person has a porn issue or that person, you know, they don't even go to church right now or, or maybe that person is involved in the LGBTQ community. And you went out to eat with that person or you tried to help that person or you invited that person to your house and you're afraid of what other people might think of you. Compassion is love in action. You see what religion and legalism does to our minds? It distorts it to the place that we're not even helping the people that we're called to help then who are we helping? And who are we hanging out with? And who are we reaching? We're not reaching anyone who really is hurt and bloody and beaten and on the side of the road. We're just helping other helped people. We're fixing already fixed people. We're, we're trying to heal already healed people. We're trying to save already saved people. Me as your pastor, and, and I've been doing this my whole life, I've been in ministry my whole life. I was raised in this thing. My whole adult life as well. And at this point in my life, I'm tired of trying to save, save people. Amen. <laughs> trying to heal healed people. Encouraged, already encouraged people. At this point, I'm trying to say, y'all need to grow up. 
and help some other people that need the words that you got. You need to grow up in love and help some people that really need it and fix some people that really need fixing and help change some people that really need changing, not us for and no more, and it continuing to talk to the same people and do the same thing week after week after week not showing the compassion, and I know it's getting tense in this Presbyterian church, not showing the love and compassion that God has placed in our heart because we think because of a position, we might lose it. I love you, church family, and don't take this out of bounds of what I'm saying. You and I both know, don't put yourself in a compromising situation to reach somebody from God. We're all mature enough to know that, correct? But I am saying this, I'm not going to be worried about my position or what other people think about me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, in person or other churches or whoever else. If I'm helping someone that God has called me to help, I will do it. If I'm trying to rescue someone who needs help, I will do it. Well, it's not going to look right because you're the pastor. I don't care. God put me in this ministry to help people that need help, to rescue people that need rescued, to heal people that need healed. Not just Pat, already saved, spirit-filled, word of faith speaking, healed and delivered, sanctified in the Holy Spirit, people on the back every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. I love you. I'll do that, but when I'm done patting, I'm going to kick your behind and say, go help some hurting people and stop thinking it's just about you. Especially if you've been in this church 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. The Bible says by then you should be teaching other people. You should be preaching to other. You should be healing people. You should be delivering people. Not you just still waiting for your pastor to give you some more milk of the word. I love you. That's why I'm telling you the truth. Now, you and I both know when I'm talking right now, there's something deep on the inside of you that's saying, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You know what that is? It's the love of God. That compassion in you wants to come out, but unless someone challenges you to do it, it won't happen. If people keep Getting up and preaching messages that keep you, you focused, your life, your family, your this, and instead of pointing you to outside issues and hurts and pains, that love in you won't come out. You still with me today? Let's read the next verse. A temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. Some passages will say he's a Levite. And in this passage, he avoided the man because of pain. The priest avoided him because of position. But the Levite avoided him for pain, thinking, what if I get hurt doing this? 
He realized if this guy was bloodied and beaten on the side of the road and you were the only one out there, you were thinking, there's probably somebody waiting for me too. And if I pause to help him, I might get hurt. How many times do we make excuses why we can't help another person because we've gotten hurt? Well, pastor, I tried to help them and they burned me. And I tried to help them and it didn't work. And I tried to help them and yeah, join the club. <laughs> and if you think you've had that happen to you, what about Jesus? But yet Jesus gives you another chance and you another opportunity. And he doesn't say, well, you know, for thousands of years, people have hurt me. I'm just not going to help you, Brother Joe. I'm hurt. No, he says, I'm going to help you because I love you. And I have compassion on you, and compassion is love in action. So a lot of times we'll avoid people that are hurting and need our help and are in pain because what if I get hurt? I got to be honest with you, there's a possibility you will be. You know, there's something called in the world today, it's a real thing, it's called compassion fatigue. And that means after you've tried to help so many people for so long, you get a condition where you just can't do it anymore. And the, uh, the byproduct of that is you're indifferent to any suffering or any pain around you because you've seen too much of it. And so people get this thing called compassion fatigue. And I think a lot of church people and Christians have this. They have tried to help so many people and it didn't work out right. After a while, they are indifferent. They don't feel anything. I don't feel sorry for you. I don't feel good for you. I don't feel anything. I feel numb towards other people. I got compassion fatigue. I'm tired of this. And you know they said this compassion fatigue is amplified because our minds cannot handle all the pain and trauma that's in the world. You realize 100 years ago, you only knew your neighbor's business and their hurt and pain. Now, if you get on social media, you know about somebody in Mumbai hurting. And you know about the explosion in Japan. And you know about the hurricane in the Bahamas. And you know about the, the thing that happened in New York City. And you know about the shooting in Utah. And you know about the sex trafficking in France. Within 30 seconds, you know about the pain and the hurt of nations and billions of people. And your finite brain was not intended to carry that or even comprehend that. But you know what happens if you're bombarded by that? Then you're indifferent about everything. And this is a lot of Christians' attitude. We can't do nothing about it. The problem's too big. I can't help them. I've already tried to help other people. Compassion fatigue. It's true you cannot do everything, but you can do something. And i got to be honest with you today. If you're going to help people that are hurting, broken, bloodied on the side of the road, spiritually, emotionally, 
physically or any other way. If you get in their mess, it's going to be messy. But thank God somebody got in your mess with you. It was like, well, they don't deserve it. Somebody did that for you. Did you? Do you not remember? First, Jesus Christ did that for you. But then there was other people that got into your life and got into your mess. It was a pastor. It was a life group leader. It was a friend at church. It was a co-worker. It was somebody else that said, this could be a little bit messy, but I'm going to get in this mess because I want to see you healed. And I might get hurt. But what's the alternative? Doing nothing? Having a life full of regrets for not helping the people that God put in your life? What, what's the alternative? We never go down that road to finish that way of thinking. Am I being too honest on a Sunday morning? But what if we get hurt? You know, there's, there's a super random verse in Proverbs. And it talks about if there's no ox in the stable, the stable's clean. You never thought I could preach on this verse, but I can. <laughs> but do you know what that means? If you're actually helping people, don't go be a mess in the barn. If you don't want to deal with anyone's issues and you don't want to help anybody hurting and you don't want to be compassionate and show love and action to people that need your help, guess what? Your life will be clean. Your house will be clean. Your life will be clean. It will be an easy life. But if you want to help people, it's going to be messy. How many of you know if there's no ox in the barn, that barn can be really clean. But if you've put a few ox in the barn that you're trying to help, pardon my language here, but there could be some poop <laughs> stacking up. There could be some mess on the floor. It could be stinky. It could be nasty. It could be some stuff around because you're actually doing something and helping somebody, but if you want a clean life and a clean barn, don't mess with nobody. But it can be a little messy. But the thing is, we've got to remind ourselves, we do do it in somebody else's barn too. And they cleaned it up, and they helped us back to life, and they did something for us. And there's no way getting around it. But the thing that motivates me is if Jesus could do that for all of us, we can do that for other people. If Jesus could get in my mess with me, I can do it for other people. This is the last thing I want to share. So the priest didn't help people because of position and the Levite didn't help people because of pain. What if I get hurt? But notice the next character is a Samaritan. A Samaritan, actually in that day, 
it's interesting. We think like racial issues, gender issues are so 2021. They are so not. It goes back to the beginning of time. And in this story, a Samaritan was known as a half breed. That's what they called him because they were half Jewish and half a mix of other nations that married into Jewish people. And so they, they would call Samaritans and look down on them like they're half Jewish. And in that day and age, that was a big deal because if you were fully Jewish, that meant that you were blessed like the blessing of Abraham. And so if you were half Jewish, they were just like, well, you're kind of half blessed and half cursed because you're from other nations. And notice the Samaritan is the hero of the story. And this is what it says. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, notice what happens. He felt compassion for him. He felt compassion for him. What's compassion? Love in action. Next verse. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took, care of, took him to the end where he could take care of him. And the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. And if he has bills that run higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. Verse 36. Now Jesus says, now which of these three would you say <laughs> was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. In verse 37, the man replied, Notice this, it was the one who showed him mercy, showed him compassion. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. I'm going to close with this. I know I've been talking a long time today. The Samaritan in this story, notice the priest, first of all, he didn't help him because of position. The Levite didn't help him because of pain. But notice the Samaritan chose to help him because of purpose. And his purpose was compassion. It says he saw the man and he had compassion on him. Love in action. Love in action. I'm hoping this is what's happening to your heart. Maybe this is just what's happening to mine. But I feel like over the past two years with everything going on in our world, COVID, racial tensions, you know, Democrats versus Republicans, I see a big part of the body of Christ getting more angry and divisive and absolutely losing it. But I feel like all these situations have me, made me feel, and this is not, oh, great, Pastor, you're feeling this way. God's doing something in my heart here that I feel like, I feel like I'm getting more humble before God, more humble towards other people. I'm feeling more compassionate and merciful towards people than I ever have before in my life. And I felt like I had some level before this, but the past few years, I feel like everything that's happened in this world, I feel like I'm having the heart that God has for other people. And that's not special about me. You can have that too. And I feel like if you're being sensitive to the Spirit of God, you should be getting more humble 
and more merciful and more compassionate right now than ever before in your life because the world is hurting. The world is crying out. The world is on the side of the road, beaten and bloodied with everything. They are scared about disease. They are scared for their mental health, their mind, their will, their emotions. They're scared with racial issues. They're scared with gender issues. They're scared about the future and about the world and what's going to happen. People are hurting and in pain like never before. And if you're in tune with God, your response should not be, you're more ticked off. You're more angry. Let me fight somebody. Let me post something mean about Biden or Trump. Who cares? We're not serving either one of those guys. We're serving Jesus Christ. We're not a part of the United States of America. We're a part of the church of Jesus Christ that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're not a part of just a nation or a country. We're a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We're a part of something, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. We're a part of a bigger thing than America. And your response, key word, if you're in touch with God, should be, you should be getting more humble before God. This is what I've seen with Christians. They're puffing out their chest more than ever, like, we're this, we're that. You should be on your face, crying and weeping before a living God right now. Humbling yourself for what's going on in this world. Not, who are you? Do you forget who God is? The Bible says it's not the prideful and the angry that changes a nation. The Bible says my people, come on now somebody, that are called by my name. (laughs) If they would humble themselves and pray, not God said, if you humble yourself and you start showing some mercy and some compassion to other people because you needed it at one time, don't forget that. He said, if you will humble yourself and pray and get on your face, stop puffing your chest out. Like you know the truth. Like the election was stole. Like I need to storm the Capitol. Grow up. You're believing lies. It's not about that. It's about the church of Jesus Christ. Not Biden, not Trump, not Democrat, not Republican. I'm preaching 150 times that any of you are looking at me right now. 250, dare I say. Let's go. Let's go, Miss Marion. You're right. 300-fold this morning. But let me finish this verse. God said, if you humble yourself and pray, I will heal their land. Now, he's not talking about just a nation. He's talking about people. 
I'll start healing people. I'll start delivering people. I'll start restoring people. I'll start bringing people into the church like you've never seen it before. If you would get down on your face and start praying and showing some compassion and mercy and some humility and doing what the Bible says you should do. Jesus said, which one was a neighbor? The one who showed compassion and mercy. And then Jesus said, yeah, go and do the same. We read those passages like, oh, that's, that's nice. No, Jesus said, go and do the same. That's a command, not a suggestion. Go and do the same. I know I preached long, but I, I just got a few more things I need to say. Do you want to hear it? In this passage, it says that when the Samaritan found the man, it says he, he got out oil and wine. He brought out oil and wine to heal the man before he put him on his horse, took him to the inn, took him to a hotel, paid the bill. But I love this. And if you study your Bible and you know symbols in the Bible, and I'm not trying to go Bible code on you here. But you know in the Bible, the oil and the wine is the Holy Ghost. So this man was not just any man. He was a man full of the love of God by the Holy Spirit. He was a man that the Holy Spirit has empowered to be a witness. He was a man full of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost in the Bible is always reflected as oil and as wine. And it says the man came and didn't just look at him and take him to an inn and pass him off to somebody else. He said, first, let's heal the real issue here. And you can't do that by just natural means. you got to do that through the power of the Holy Ghost. And he said he put the oil in the wine. And we know in that time and day, the oil brought healing. And the wine cleansed the wound. That was the medicine of that day. So God wanted him to come into his life and cleanse him, but then also see him healed. And how many of you know that's what the Holy Spirit does in our life? Doesn't he? First he comes and all the pain and all the, the places where the enemy has tore us up and the world has tore us up. All the scars and all the scabs and all the blood. Something needs to happen with that. And the, the wine of the Holy Spirit like a disinfectant gets poured on our life and cleanses us from the inside out. That we're clean now. We're not unclean because of the Holy Spirit's oil and wine on our life. But then the Holy Spirit comes like an oil and then he gets poured on our life and that oil comes down. That's the anointing. That's the anointing. The anointing that destroys yokes. The anointing that heals bodies. The anointing that makes somebody new. The anointing of God that can do what therapy cannot do. That a hospital cannot do. 
that a program cannot do, that education cannot do. The oil of the Holy Ghost can heal you from the inside out. Well, as you can tell, the devil done messed with me too much this past week. And the oil comes and heals the man. But what does the Bible say? Freely you have received, freely give. Well, I got the Holy Ghost, good. Freely you have received it, freely give it. I've received that cleansing and that healing by the Holy Ghost. Awesome. Freely you have received, freely give. There's people all over the place that need the oil and the wine. And if the Holy Spirit's living in you, you are carriers of that oil and wine. And people need the cleansing power of the Spirit, and they need the healing power of the Spirit. Jesus said, which one's a neighbor? I think we all know which one. The Samaritan, because he showed compassion and mercy. And then he said, go and do the same. Did you guys get something today? I think I preached myself happy today. Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.